It's about leveraging your time. And this is what we talked about before too, like people that are busy out there going to work every day. You wanna leverage your time and put your money you know, into a place where it's going to exponentially increase by leveraging someone else's skill set. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build multiple streams of passive income on Main Street through real estate. Today, our guest is Rob Napolitano, and today we're learning a few things from Rob. First, we go through his experience going through bankruptcy. He was a real estate investor a number of years ago went through bankruptcies on some of his real estate investments and actually came out on the other side better off. And he's gonna tell us how that happened and how he fought to make that happen. We're gonna dig into that. Then we're going to dig into his thoughts on your return on time as a real estate investor. Time is our most finite resource. We discuss how he balances his return on investment, his investment risk, and his return on time in his real estate and note investments. Great conversation. Once again, time is our most finite resource, and we need to think about that when we're making our investments and thinking about how we make our money because money's not really ultimately the goal for any of us. We think money is the goal, but it's really a means to an end to pursue our happiness and have as much time as we want to pursue that happiness. And we're gonna dig into that today as well. A lot of great lessons in this one. Rob has a lot of knowledge in this space and what it's like to go through hard times as a real estate investor and what are really what our real priorities should be. And that's really the context of the conversation today. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Vogt. I'm a real estate investor and I focus on commercial, multifamily, and self-storage investments. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and we'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. And if you know anyone who could use a little more passive wealth in their lives, who needs to escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street, please do share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Once again, our guest today is Rob Napolitano. Here we go. Rob, thanks so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us a bit about what you do, what you're investing in, all that great stuff? Oh, great. I appreciate Taylor. I appreciate you having me on here. I appreciate those that are listening in. And um, yeah, I could just tell you a little bit that it's been a long journey to get to where I'm at. I'll, I'll just start from, I guess, my darkest, my darkest moment was just jump right into it. I mean, it's still sen- mm-hmm. sensitive to me. I'm still raw about this, but it was, you know, it was back in 2007, 2008. Yeah, I was in the real estate investing business. I did some private money lending. I owned my own mortgage bank back then. I was very heavily into the mortgage business and investing and got caught with my pants down and unprepared. And I got sucked into the 2008, 2009 crisis. And I, I, I sort of saw it coming with the writing on the wall with, was, with what was going on in the, uh, the mortgage business. And I decided to go to law school, become a paralegal. I said, on the backside of this, there's going to be you know, lawsuits and unwinding of some of these mortgages and stuff. And um, I wanted to be a part of it. I needed to find a new way to reinvent myself. I needed to find a new way to make an income. 
At that point in my life, I was just getting engaged and starting my next chapter in my life, starting a family, and I needed to reinvent myself. And it got to a point where it got so overwhelming that I had to go into a bankruptcy, a chapter 13 bankruptcy. And for, for, for those that may or may not know, there are two types of bankruptcies for consumers. The, the chapter seven is when you liquidate everything and you pay back all your creditors and you're pretty much left with just about nothing. Uh, and the chapter 13, you stay in control of all your assets and liabilities. You reorganize and you restructure your personal balance sheet because there's enough assets there to pay your creditors. And so I went into a chapter 13 and um, uh, the attorney that I picked at that point, I was training him on how to do some foreclosure defense. And I said to him, look, there are two of my creditors here, two major big institutions that are doing illegal foreclosure, just as we were trying to help people around the country stave off illegal foreclosures. There are two in my personal bankruptcy that are going to be illegal as well, and I'm going to fight them. And I'm not looking not to pay them, but I want to pay them what's rightfully theirs. And what I meant by that is what a lot of people didn't know back then is that while the people think that banks had losses, not actually true. A lot of these banks had these loans insured. So if a bank took a loss through a foreclosure for other means, they actually had to claim an insurance company and the insurance company have to fill the claim. So part of my argument was, well, if I borrowed a dollar from the bank and the bank got paid 60 cents from the insurance company, why is the bank still asking me for a dollar? Why is the bank using the system as a way to double dip? And I wanted to press that issue in the court system to say, hey, do I really owe a dollar or do I owe 40 cents at this point? Reasonable question. Right? It was a reasonable question. Wasn't trying to be a jerk about it. Although you had to be a jerk about it because you were dealing with a bunch of jerks. And so <laughs> you had to deal with it that way. And so we pushed the issue. And then there was this whole big thing about how they got into this thing called securitization, where they would make a loan, they would package it, and they would sell it off into the capital markets. Okay, well, if, they, if this particular bank sold it off to somebody else, then why is this bank coming after the dollar that I supposedly owe it? How do I know that they didn't sell the loan off to some other bank who later on is going to say, hey, you know what? Bank number one never paid me my money. So since I own your mortgage, I want my money. How do I know that somebody else is not going to come out later on in the future to ask for that same dollar? So there's only two basic questions we were asking inside the bankruptcy of the court. Who do I owe and how much? I have a check here that I want to pay my mortgage off. I got to know the first part. To whom do I make this check out to? And number two, how much is due and owing? And that was the basis of our bite back. And it got to a point where the judges were buying into this and the banks didn't want to reveal what was going on behind the curtain to the point where they paid me to go away. Wow. I got one of the major institutions, paid my entire bankruptcy estate, paid all my creditors, paid my attorney for this to go away. And the second one, we actually pulled out of the bankruptcy. That's even more. I don't want to get into too much detail because I know we're limited on time here, but there is one where they actually took it out of the bankruptcy. They actually foreclosed on the property. I actually had a court undo the foreclosure, come back into my hands after the bank sold it to a third party. And it was a big mess. And they ended up paying me as well. They ended up paying me to buy the property back from me after they foreclosed on me. So I went into a bankruptcy at a certain net worth and I came out actually profiting off my bankruptcy. Okay. Not many people out there, I don't know anybody else out there that can say they actually did that. <laughs> Accidentally. So I actually did that. I actually came out with a check. It's all documented because of you know the business that I do now under the SEC, I got to disclose all that. So it's all inside of my documents. It's all public information. Anybody can go look this stuff up. But at that time, I didn't know I was going to go through all that. But what I came out of there learning so much 
and how much some of these big institutions take advantage of some people. I said, you know what? I wanted to do something about it because it's not fair. It's not right. How do we do this? And we tried to fight against the big banks. And I was like, yeah, it's really tough to fight against the big banks. You know, all these big banks and all the wealthy, they know how to get in to a deal, how to get out of a deal, when to get in and when to get out of it. They have all this specialized knowledge. They know how to fortify their growth, how to fortify their position without taking losses. And I said, well, that's the game that I want in on. I want to know how to do this game. And so how do we get this? How do we do this? And so I ended up starting buying these mortgages. And I said, wow. So these loans, since they're getting traded on a secondary market, it's not anybody can really go and participate with this. So I said, fine. If I'm, it's not that you can beat them, you know, you can't beat them, join them. I wasn't really a part of that. But I said, if I'm going to beat them, I got to get into their game and beat them at their own game. So we started buying loans. We started buying them, started modifying these loans, helping homeowners stay in the homes. And it turned out to be a very, very, very profitable business, helping people stay in their homes and buying these mortgages. And so the second part of what I learned was, okay, so now that we've built this, how do we also have insurance on the money we're investing? And there's nothing out there for other investors other than the big banks. But I found one. I found one. I, 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 I found a group of great professionals buying life settlements. And a life settlement is a life insurance policy that matures, pays out and benefit at the maturity of the policy. And it turns out that there are a lot of people that can't afford to continue to make payments on their life insurance policy for financial hardship, for medical reasons, for, for whatever reason, people's life changes and their financial circumstances change. And one of the first things they stop making payments on is their life insurance policy. And these things end up becoming abandoned. And the insurance companies love that because they collect these premiums for all these years. And they say, ah, we'll never have to make a payout. This is a great <laughs> business. I said, well, that's kind of predatory too. So I said, well, let's go buy some of those policies too, since it's very similar to buying mortgage notes. And if we combine the two, now I actually have an insurance that I can combine with my other business. And now I've created my own proprietary insurance wrapper around our real estate business in buying debt. And then I found that there actually is something called a fire economy, S-I-R-E, which is the best performing economy in the world. And fire stands for finance, insurance, and real estate. I said, how about that? How coincidental that the banks and the insurance companies rule the world and make all this money. And that's exactly where I wanted to be. And that's exactly where I am today, playing that game and picking up, up all of the stuff that they screw up in the markets. I pick them up and I repurpose them. And it's a great business. So going through that bankruptcy of screwing up my own personal financial statement showed me the ropes of how the system works. And I built a very profitable business out of that. Very cool. So very uh, powerful experience. And hopefully a lot of folks out there, you know, never have the experience of going through bankruptcy. You know, my knowledge of it is pretty much limited to the scene in the office office when Michael Scott yells, I declare bankruptcy. And that's about it. And that doesn't actually work. But beyond that, I'm not particularly knowledgeable. And I hope to not build any knowledge uh, further than the context of our conversation. You also have this idea about how investing is not just about ROI, but it's also about ROT, return on time. And I'd like to yeah. dig into that you know, while we're here today, because it's a, it's a critical aspect that I think is not discussed often enough in real estate, especially the smaller real estate investing community. Individuals buying their own deals are not often thinking about their return on time, and they get stuck and just spin their wheels. So what are your thoughts on that? So 
yes, I'll, I'll tell you my thoughts on that, but I want to lay a little uh, a groundwork with that too. This Perfect. is my, my, the way I view things. Okay. It's, it's about, look, all these conversations we have that anybody has, it's all about money, getting more money. All right. And that's just the medium that we use to get what we really want. No one talked about what they really want. What we all really want is that lifestyle. We want lifestyle security. We want peace of mind. Okay. I've been doing distress situations for so long now, 20 something years I've been doing this now, even before I went to the bankruptcy. And I sat at, I can't tell you how many kitchen tables that I sat when I was going to help people in foreclosure and stuff. And I found two things. There's two common denominators that people want in life, no matter where you are socially or financially. There's two things that people want in life. Number one is to find their happiness. And happiness, unfortunately, is defined differently for everybody. Mm -hmm. Culturally, society tries to tell us what happiness really is and material things, and it is not. But everybody has to define personally what happiness is, okay? And the second thing that people want, if they're lucky enough to get past the first of finding their happiness, because not everybody does, but if you're lucky enough to find your happiness, the second thing that people want in life is more time to spend in that happiness. And so, and that's, it's that simple. Mm -hmm. Life is really that simple. So I look at it this way, right? I view my perspective as I look at my life and what I'm doing on a daily basis, and it's going to sound a little, a little morbid, but I look at it from my eulogy and my death. Who is going to be eulogizing me? What are they going to say? They're going to say, you know, I knew Rob and he was great because of this, 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 and this. We have the opportunity every day to live our eulogy. What words am I going to put in that person's mouth that they're going to say about me? What's my legacy going to be? Because most people get to the end of life and start seeing, oh, I'm getting to my last years. What did I really do? And I ran out of time. Always comes back to time. Comes back to time, happiness, peace of mind. So now, while we're still working and we have our, our working years and our productive years where we're getting some income and making some money, not always about the return on investment. It's about return on time because there are plenty of investments that are out there that'll just suck up your time not turn into the investment you thought it was going to be. And time is the most valuable commodity because that's something we cannot get back tomorrow. Tomorrow, I can always find another deal. Tomorrow, I can find another partner to partner up with. Tomorrow, I can get mindset on what I need to do. But tomorrow, I can't get back the time that I wasted. So time becomes the most valuable commodity because it's, it's, it's eluding us every day. And so putting our money to work properly, putting our money to work so that the money continues to go to work over time while we spend our time working as well. I mean, at some point, it's a balance, right? At some point, you want to get to a point where you're not spending your time at work anymore, but your money is going to work. In our early years of working, right, we want to work and, and make more money. Later in life, we want to make less money because we want our money to go to work and we work less. And there's, you know, there's that whole time continuum. You got you to work on moving towards making your money go to work. But you got to understand how to do it. You got to start off early because if you start off early, you've got all that time in front of you to capture. And it's about capturing all that in front of you. That's the most important thing. So return on time. I look at my deals from that perspective. Now, it doesn't mean that I get away from ROI. It just means that ROI is not the first thing that I look at. In fact, in my deals, the real estate is the last thing that I look at. Real estate is the last thing that I look at. It's about making money. Here's the money going to go to work. How much risk is it exposed to? That's very important because investing, just like playing any professional sports or any kind, whether professional or not, right? There's, there's, there, there's two adversaries and each team usually is going to be playing an offense and a defense. Investing is the same thing. The offense is we're going to go and make as much as we can to continue to build our wealth. 
And the defense is, we got to keep it as much as we can. Risk mitigation. We got to keep it. And what's happening today all over the world? Inflation, taxes, energy crisis, all sorts of uh, social unrest, cultural wars, all these things are going on. The market, the traditional market, you know, is down in double digits today. So all these things we have to look at because that's what erodes our wealth. That's the way we got to say, well, now we got to start playing defense. Plenty of people are out there now saying, hey, I'm losing all this money because they didn't get their defense right. You got to play offense and making your money and you got to play defense too. So it's not always about the ROI because if it takes away your time and if it erodes your wealth, the ROI is not going to be there over time. So- I totally agree with all that and I appreciate it. I think one of the struggles that people come across is there are a lot of a lot of folks out there kind of selling the dream, whether it's real estate or, you know, or whatever. They're they're out there selling the dream of, you know, passive income so you can spend more time doing the things that you want to do and pursuing your happiness or whatever that is, maybe spending more time with family or going on more vacations or, you know, whatever you want to do. It's up to you and and nobody else can can tell you what your happiness is. But how do you think about sorting the real opportunities from the maybe idealistic you know nonsense that isn't going to actually work you know what i mean yep for me it's easy i never go where the crowds are i see where the crowds are going and i go in the opposite direction very simple i gave this example the other day let's say we're sitting inside of a i'll use a simple example sitting inside of a pizza shop all right we order a nice round pie it's got eight slices and eight of us are there we all get our own slice and outside you know, parade comes by with one of the more popular singer, songwriter, artists in a parade outside. And everybody rushes outside of the pizzeria. I'm the guy that actually stays. Yeah. You know why? <laughs> There's more pizza for me to eat. <laughs> okay. And in, and we see a lot of that. And, I, and that's actually a strategy. There are people on Wall Street that bet against the dumb money because when everybody goes in a crowd in a certain way, they'll just bet against it. And their entire strategy is to bet against the crowd and they make money. So in real estate, there are a lot of traditional ways to make money in real estate. I like to go in the opposite direction where most people aren't going. And that is I buy the distressed mortgages from the banks because I can buy them at huge discounts and our money is made in the discounts. So I can, let's say I can buy a mortgage from a bank, you know, a half a million dollar mortgage. I'll buy it at a big discount. Well, I know immediately part of where my profit's going to be because the spread between what I buy it for and what it's really valued at is a defined spread. I don't have to rely on the appreciation of a building, which is really dependent upon what a market does. It has no my, 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 my personal activity in the investment has no influence on appreciation. It has to do with market activity. I have no control over appreciation. But when I'm buying an asset at a discount, I have direct control over how much money I can make in a definitive number because I want to buy $500,000 mortgage, and let's say I bought it for 50 cents. I want to pay $250,000 for it. I know I've got a $250,000 spread, and now it's a matter of myself and my team unlocking that value by working the mortgage after that to get what we know is a definitive number on the back end. It could be more in certain cases. I don't worry about appreciation. Not many people do that. Not many people know how to do that. So the distinction between how it's done, I just go into places and do niches that still in real estate, but where most people aren't going. Gotcha. Okay. Another. So when we talk about return on time, my mind also quickly goes to, you mentioned your team and, and building a team, hiring people to handle the actual nuts and bolts of our businesses and our deals so that we can focus our time on growing our businesses or not you know, working 200 hours a week or whatever, and have some time for the things that, that make us happy. So 
Tell us quick about building your team and, and how you've thought about that over the years. Yeah. So you're talking about, in my mind, leveraging. Mm. Again, in real estate, everybody talks about leveraging as putting you know a loan on real estate so I can leverage my property. Yeah. I talk about leveraging time. So yeah, I could do all the, all the things that it takes, all the tasks that it takes. I can do all that to turn a, 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 a non-performing mortgage into a performing one or unlocking, you get paid all the things to get, to get the exit strategy. But it would take up all my time. So we want to leverage our time by getting um, the right professional teammates, whether they be on our management team, our employees, our outside vendors. I mean, we have servicers, accounting firms, nationwide law firms. I mean, I have some of the people in our law firms that, you know, they they come and invest with us personally out of their personal savings and IRAs and stuff like that because they see what we're doing and want to leverage their retirements to some of the stuff that we're doing too. I mean, our, our network of, of, of is so vast across the country and you want to leverage. I couldn't do all this, but I could, but I couldn't scale it the way I'm looking to scale this. So it's about leveraging your time. And this is what we talked about before too, like people that are busy out there going to work every day, you want to leverage your time and put your money, you know, into a place where it's going to exponentially increase by leveraging someone else's skill set, by leveraging another person's time, by leveraging somebody else's intimate knowledge, you know, and, and being those passive investors, I think is the best way that people can build their wealth, but you got, but that, that, that doesn't come without you know, doing some work and some due diligence as well. You know, it's not just, you know, you give somebody your money, you got to do some some due diligence. But I believe that's one of the best ways, while especially for busy professionals, to go and build their nest egg and their personal wealth is, you know, doing it passively with people that are really intimate in the business. So in your business, how do you think about the best place or the best way in which to leverage uh, someone else's time in in continuing to grow because there are maybe at any given time there may be uh, ten directions you could go with hiring somebody, but they're not all equally good or beneficial for your business. Some are better than others, but how do you go about doing the eighty twenty analysis, if you will, of picking the right seat yeah. to put someone in? It's uh, honestly for me what it comes down to it's it's relationship building. It's relationship building. I want to see that. No, I, I, I have people invest with me and I also invest with other people. So I see both sides of the fear factor and the trust factor. And that's what it comes down to. And it's all about relationships. For me to give my trust to someone, I want to see that they think like me. I want to see that they have the same values as me. Because part of what I tell people, you know, I have two young children and their inheritance is invested in my deals. So when they part, when other people park their money with me, they get the benefit of me making good decisions for my own personal children. And if they want someone to be a steward of their money, that's going to look out for their children, their children, first, then I'm the guy, right? So it's relationships. It's, it's comparing values. It's comparing mindset. It's comparing strategy. And it's all relationship. And that always changes over time. I have it with some of my best investors that have come in and have come out. And when they've come out, because they've gone through changes in life. I have one who was taking care of her mother and her mother's trust money. And her mother finally passed on and she gave her a good, great years in her, in her final years. Her mom passed on and then she inherited a whole bunch of other money and she wanted to go do some other stuff with it. Okay. So, but we're still very good friends. We actually compare notes. Hey, what'd you find? Who's doing what today? 
I found this, you know, uh, I don't know. She said, she said something about some stones or resource or something precious. It wasn't precious metals. I just don't like precious metal stuff. But it was something really exotic I never heard of. But it's having these relationships. No, she doesn't invest with me anymore. But we still have good and ongoing relationships. But other people will come in and other people will go. So it's an ongoing relationship thing. It's not an easy thing, but it's talking to people. It's trying to see what they're about. Yeah. And it really, one of the measuring tools that I use is the authenticity. Are they really real? I want to deal with real people. I only want to deal with real people having real challenges. I mean, I know I, I had a, I knew someone just recently who was, you know, being very critical of himself because he couldn't hang his shelf straight uh, in his background. <laughs> Talking about me. It is, it is hung straight, by the way. It's just the camera. Yeah, but see, but that, but that stuff, that's what I love. It makes, it makes it, you know, see so your, your little, uh, you got applause, right? <laughs> that's true. But that's okay. I want people to applause. You know, I heard someone say once that the more accurate that an economist is with a number, the more you shouldn't believe him. Mm. The more you shouldn't believe him because there's nothing that accurate. There's nothing that perfect. Nothing. So while we are all imperfect, while nothing is perfect, we can pursue perfection with the end result achieving excellence. Okay. Nice. That's, a, that's not me. It's Tom, uh, Vince Lombardi said that once. That's a great line. <laughs> Vince Lombardi line. No, it, we're all going to continuously pursue perfection, knowing full well perfection is not attainable. But somewhere along the journey in our imperfection, we will attain excellence. And that's what you want. You don't want perfection. You just want excellence. We're all doing the best that we can. Me, I'm just a regular dude. I went through some of the doldrums. I fought back because I'm a fighter. I did very well for myself, still doing well for myself, I'm trying to do it for my, for my kids and my family and for others as well. But I'm just a regular guy. Nice. Nice. Well, I appreciate you. I give my, my, my background here a little, uh, little shout as I continue to make my studio podcast studio a little bit better. And I, I appreciate that answer as well. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Rod, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Okay, so this might not be... Just come right off the top of my head because the first thing that came to my head, I did this. First thing that came to my head, and it might not be the traditional answer anybody's looking for, but there's a reason why. I, always, I try to speak from the heart. So this is what came to my head, and now I'm trying to figure out why this came to my head, and I found the answer. My best investment, my wife, and here's why. We talked before about finding your happiness and uh, spending more time with that happiness, creating wealth, lifestyle options, security. We can go on that journey all we want and we can pursue perfection, gain excellence. But remember the second part of it was keeping it as well. How many of us get into a bad relationship with a spouse and we try to build and try to build and try to build when that relationship always sometimes ends up in a bad spot and it ends up moving us backwards personally, emotionally, financially. And now we wasted all that time on our journey. But by finding the right spouse who supports you, who's in it with you, just it magnifies the success on the journey. 
So having the right spouse and partner to go on the journey with, best investment I made. Nice. Nice. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin. The worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Oof. Maybe a couple of those houses that got foreclosed on. <laughs> so I so yeah, let's go back to that one, right? Was that the worst? Look how it turned out. It may have seemed the worst at the time, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that, you know, God was laying the foundation for my great return. But at the time, it seemed like it was my worst. But I gotta tell you, my worst, I got a couple actually. But here I'm gonna say this too. I'm I try to be positive about everything. I, I can be positive about this. It's not necessarily the losses that I take. I've taken losses. Okay, but the losses that I've taken have always been put to good use anyway, because I can take losses and I use my losses for tax purposes against a lot of the income that I make. So it's either I'm taking a loss or I'm giving it to Uncle Sam anyway. So is it really a loss? I've gained value out of the experiences. Have I lost dollars? Sure. Has I gained value? Sure. But if I was going to make money and more dollars, I'm going to give it to Uncle Sam anyway. So I'd rather not give it to him. So in a sense, it's kind of successful. I kind of gave it to the man, you know, <laughs> didn't have to pay the taxes on those losses. So, but losses, what comes to mind really goes back to people again. I can think of three situations where I bet on and done investments with the wrong people. People that fooled, lied, cajoled, and were just sinister about getting money from me. But you learn lessons there too. So bad deals come from dealing with the wrong people. Yeah. So I still bring it back to people again. But even then, even money that I've lost, eh, helps me on the tax side. That's <laughs> okay. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Ooh. Okay. So while some people know how to look at history, there's only a very few who know how to make history. One of the biggest lessons I've learned was not to be an understudy of your own life. Don't let life pass you by. The dreams and aspirations that we all have are attainable. Anybody can do it. It's always hard to get started. It's always, we don't know where to get started. But the worst thing is not to get started. Don't be an understudy of your own life. Get it done. Find the right partners. Find the right guides through the terrain. And look, what we're going through today, okay, it's very scary with the environments out there and the investing environment out there. It's very daunting to make decisions. It's scary to make the wrong decision. And there's so much information out there, we don't know where a lot of this information is coming from the right side. So unfortunately, we have to go through a terrain of challenges in order to make it to the new territory of progress. And so don't sit back and be a spectator in this game of life and don't be an understudy of your own life. Get in the game. and Everybody needs to start capturing tomorrow, today. Nice. They need to start doing Nice, nice. I like that. Very, I think, relevant to really everybody out there. And Rob, I want to thank you for joining us today, teaching us about your journey through a bankruptcy, how you invest and how you think about return on time, as well as return on investment, risk and investments, all everything around that. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Well, they can email me directly if they want, right to our team at brilliant at capturingtomorrow.com, or they can visit the website capturingtomorrow.com. Or they can just direct message me right on LinkedIn. I keep very active on LinkedIn on a daily basis. And they can find me on LinkedIn.com. And the profile name is Rob Napo, N-A-P-O. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. 
five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.